Good afternoon, everyone. It is Dr. Nigro again with our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. As always, a heartfelt thank you uh, to all of our followers worldwide. Um, it's a tremendous honor to be able to do this every week. And uh, Julie and I really appreciate the confidence that you have placed in us and being at least educators or sounding boards, uh, giving you a forum to explore uh, the myriad uh, peaks and valleys of uh, a field that I've, I've dedicated my, my life, my time to, um, just Julie as well. Uh, but you guys have me again today because Julie is doing telehealth and trying to catch up uh, on a Sunday. So, <clears throat> but I also wanted to do this episode because I wanted to piggyback this one uh, on last week's episode, I uh, didn't want to do it all at once because I think it would have been too much, but uh, borderline personality disorder seems to be the one topic that, as I've said, people are um, <clears throat> incredibly interested about. Uh, I, I personally and professionally view it as being something that is much more prevalent than what the current uh, prevalence rates would suggest. I think it's... Um, completely misdiagnosed and, and and just completely dismissed um as 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 being diagnosed in in children and adolescents if they do meet the diagnostic criteria and that's just a professional uh, frustration of mine but um I've referenced the book Stop Walking on Eggshells multiple times throughout doing this podcast, uh, primarily as it relates to borderline personality disorder, but I think you can extrapolate it to a lot of different personality types. Um, so last week, and again, these these are non-clinical terms, but I think, the, and, I, and I've used this mod, module and this framework uh, successfully with people and have seen the efficacy and the benefits of just being able to conceptualize it. And again, it's not a model that works for everybody, but I I think the vast majority of people, because it has very I think, solid grounding in cognitive behavioral uh, psychology, which you know is something that I I'm strongly affiliated and affiliated with and gravitate towards, but um, the one the one thing I don't like about the book is that is that the authors all always reference um, the, you know again for just sake of conversation not to be punitive or or, or take away from the individual you know integrity of a, of a person you know i'm referring to just like borderline personality or they um just for the sake of ease of conversation but one thing that i've always noticed about the the walking on eggshells book and, and the corresponding workbook is that they constantly refer to borderline personality as she and uh a vast majority of males also uh, meet the diagnostic criteria for borderline but they tend to be over, they tend to be misdiagnosed with antisocial personality disorder when in many cases it actually is borderline personality disorder so but i do like the conceptualization uh that they put together of the four subtypes so if you have been following this program uh this will definitely make sense if you listen to the one i did last week where i explained what the four subtypes are and again these are not anything clinical um people asked i've got texts and phone calls and like where can i these are not clinical this is just what these authors have done uh to kind of break this construct of, of, of borderline personality down into four distinct 
categories. Do I think there's more? Absolutely. This is just a, a, a framework to take something as big as, as big as personality is, whether it's borderline or histrionic or dependent or narcissistic. These are these are huge constructs. Um, often almost invariably comorbid with other psychiatric conditions, whether that's ADHD or processing speed disorder, um, anxiety, depression, bipolarity. And again, no surprise for you guys who follow us, get a neuropsych eval or have somebody that you're in relationship with get the eval to really delineate what it is. So this episode in last week and this week is really kind of talked a lot about what, what borderline personality disorder is, um, what, you know, from the psychopath- psychopathological perspective of, of the diagnostic criteria, uh, being in a relationship with borderline. Uh, but the, the last episode in this one is really about how borderline behavior affects you affects you in terms of the individual who may be in relationship with the person with borderline personality disorder. Some are people that we are uh, in relationship by blood and they are relatives and family. Uh, others are er- can be intimate, platonic, uh, purely sexual, um, romantic, uh, collegial. Um, but, uh, you know, the if we go back to the four... Uh, subtypes of what these authors have depicted, which is the waif, the hermit, the <clears throat> waif, the hermit, the queen, and the witch. I have to read my own writing, which is it gets bad sometimes. Um, so <clears throat> I try my best in terms of making notes. So this is really about how the borderline behavior really impacts any one of you guys out there who are in relationship with them. So if we take the the waif, um, the typical non-borderline thoughts. So this these are the thoughts that the person without the disorder has about the waif's behavior. For example, she desperately needs me, so I must save her no matter what. Knight in shining armor syndrome. I have to save her. And and saving somebody is a pretty. There's not a lot of margin for error. We talk about saving. It's either you save them or they. What's the end result? They they, they die or there's something some awful ending to it. Uh, the greater the sacrifice, the more I show I love her. So people, you know, in, you know, in relationship with you know the waif subtype, um, have the belief that the more I sacrifice, whether that's money or time spent, it could be a variety of things. The more sacrifices I make, then they will believe that the more they will think that I love them. Um, another common belief in in, in people in relationships with individual with borderline personality is my needs are not as important as hers. Um, maybe I stopped needing to go, to, maybe I stopped going to the gym, which may be important for my health. Maybe I, you know, don't go to my favorite restaurant anymore. Maybe I stopped playing on my, um, my basketball team or my baseball team because I'm placing their needs above my own. Um, and then another one is if I learn, if I learn enough about borderline personality, I can heal her. That is, that is not the job of any individual except a professional and the person with borderline personality disorder. Um, you know, people have, you can read books, you can get a good psychoeducation, but you are not in a position to treat 
the individual and nor is it nor is it your responsibility you can be a, a supportive companion upon their journey to identification and healing of this disorder but it is not there's no amount of books you're going to read that are going to equip you to deal with this Okay, next is, these are the typical emotions stemming from the non-borderline personality disorder person's thoughts. So this, again, these are the thoughts, or these are the emotions that stem from the individual without borderline personality. I like being needed, but I'm, but sometimes I feel so overwhelmed by their neediness. You know, again, neediness, neediness, neediness. Um, that's a huge part of borderline personality. It's also part of dependency. But we talked about, I talked in other episodes about the delineation between the two. Um, I get confused and frustrated when when they reject my help. Um, of course, if you if you if you if you're giving help when somebody kind of pushes that away, it, it could it starts to lead to a lot of self doubt and a lot of uh, you know int- what we call like intrapunitive thoughts like. Maybe I'm not, a, maybe I'm screwing up as a parent. Maybe I'm screwing up as a husband, a wife, a partner. Um, or another one is uh, their behavior isn't all that abnormal. I can manage it and, and so can the kids. So I think this is where you kind of put justifications. And I think this sometimes happens in longer term relationships where you, you this has just become part of the infrastructure of your life. A lot of times you see with parents because they're, they have, you know, or family members because they have longstanding deep relationships with these individuals. Um, but, it, you know, when you start to say, well, it's not all that bad and, you know, we, we can all manage it. Uh, another emotion from the non-borderline is I feel abused and I guess my self-esteem wasn't all that high to begin with. So, again, there's the self-depreciation, uh, you know, where the, where the borderline's behavior, this is, this is the waif, where their behavior is kind of just making the other person who's in a relationship with them, whatever that relationship is, question, almost like, am I losing my, my grip of sanity? Is it, what is you? What is me? And it becomes a very distorted Venn diagram. Uh, now, these are typical actions that are spurred by the non-borderline person's emotions. Um I try to help, but they turn it down. If they turn me down over and over and over again, uh, I will keep trying until I eventually succeed. It almost becomes like this mindset, like you know, I'm, I'm just going to ride this, this this train, and I'm eventually I'm going to get to the front and and be able to hit the brakes. And you're all the way in the caboose, and there's 55 cars in front of you, and you're determined to get to that the the you know the engine. To, to be able to, you know, the one to save the train from going off the tracks. Uh, another typical action is kind of like, I, I'm, I'm unable to protect my children or, or myself from this behavior. Um, you know, this is almost like, I just, I just can't do it anymore. Uh, I keep doing it, but I have this belief that, that, that I'm just unable to do it. No, nothing that I, that I try, uh, will help. Um, so, one of the other things that 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 I like what the the authors have have um, have done is they've and I, I've added some of this stuff in, in in here as well is um, the effects people a lot of times have have asked um, you know what are the effects of having a parent with just a personality disorder uh, typically borderline histrionic narcissistic um, so this is uh, you know this is these are the effects of having a a parent with the waif subtype of borderline personality. The children often feel angry, afraid, and alone. Um, 
children often feel like failures because they're unable, no matter what they do, to make the borderline individual happy. Uh, or they, they, they keep trying uh, even until their, their, their parent dies. Um, and, and really the enmeshment, which is the really the inability to separate, even hinders a child's own growth and development, uh, which can create dependency and affect their you know relationships subsequently as they as as they get older um children of the waif borderline parent can become cynical angry and feel man- manipulated um or or turn into like over responsible nursemaid seeking elusive approval so kind of almost adopting that same role as the waif parent is is, is almost you know wanting that excessive uh need for approval um, the kids, they learn to believe that life is something to be endured until you die as, as just this painful ride. And, you know, you just endure everything and you just, you know, you, this is passive recipient with taking no responsibility for yourself. Um, and they, they find autonomy to be disconcerting. Um, so autonomy or individuality, uh, definitely one of the stages of psychosocial development, a crucial one, um, so I'll cover that, those stages, uh, the psychosocial development, uh, moral development. Uh, those, I think we can note those are two other episodes. All right. So let's move on to the next one, the hermit. This is the second subtype uh, of borderline personality disorder. So these are the, the, the typical non-borderline pers- individuals' thoughts about the hermit's behavior. Like the borderline says, the world is unsafe and I should not trust or take any risks, not trust anybody. Okay, so they're almost starting to believe that, you know, I need to, I need to retreat into the world. Uh, and I need, to, I need to walk, you know, with almost like night vision on 24 hours a day, metaphorically. Uh, I need to protect the borderline from the terror of the outside world. I need to be overly protective, whether that's making uh, excuses whether that is over-explaining uh, the person's behavior, uh, whether that is, you know, shooing away people who the person believes may be uh, intentionally or unintentionally having a negative effect on the the borderline individual pers- person's uh, behaviors or mindset. And then another uh, belief is, I'm I'm a faithful, loyal person, and I would never leave the borderline uh, to fend for themselves. That's a pretty significant uh, mindset and 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 ideation to adopt because you're basically saying I I'm going to take complete responsibility and I'm never going to leave this person's side. And I've seen this a lot in clinical practice. The amount of the amount of uh, distress individual individuals endure in trying to protect the borderline from the outside world, when in reality, from treatment, that is what the borderline needs to be able to do, is to be able to live and confront the outside world and have the confidence to do so. Uh, The typical emotions that stem from the uh, non-borderline person's thoughts, um, I feel trapped and isolated by the hermit's fear. Uh, I have trouble trusting and making mistakes because the no the borderline will say, you know what? I told you so. I told you they were going to screw you over. I told you that was a bad deal. I told you that was going to work out n- not in your favor. Uh, typical actions that are spurred by the 
by the non-borderline's emotions. Um, I'm giving up my social life because it's just, it's just too hard to maintain one and be helpful to the borderline. So I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna go out with my friends anymore. I'm not gonna shoot pool on Wednesday nights. I'm not gonna go to the bar with my, you know, college buddies. Um, I have to, I have to devote 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, get, have six cell phones and be on, on constant guard and, and a constant call and the ready to meet their needs, which will never be met without treatment. Um, and another, another, um, action spurred by the these emotions is I will make excuses for the borderline so no one will suspect the real problems. A lot of excuses. Um, and I would say there's a lot of excuses, especially in, in these first two types, because um, they're not as belligerent or aggressive as the next two types. But, you know, what are the effects of having a, a, a Border, a parent with, border, you know, the hermit borderline personality type. Uh, the adult children of hermits generally suffer from a lot of uh, maladies stemming from trapped feelings such as panic attacks or phobias. Uh, children are not often encouraged to explore and learn, and they become anxious and faced with new situations because if the borderline parent is, is is believing that the world is a dangerous and hostile place, they're going to they're gonna, uh promulgate those beliefs onto their children where the children in their developing personalities themselves are going to adopt that 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 worldview that people can't be trusted people will hurt you and the world is a dangerous and scary place um, the children often don't learn appropriate coping skills and they, they may feel that they may they may give up control too easily have a hard time trusting people uh, and they they have less capable of naturally moving away from the parent because again they 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 tend to feel that responsibility that I need to fix mom or dad I need I need to I need to put my life on hold I can't maintain multiple things I I may not get married I may you know you know stop dating or whatever because I have to take care of the person I have to take care of my parent I have to take care of my siblings uh, and there's nothing wrong with that but but to what extent and to what degree. And to what price are individuals going to pay? And uh, just from talking with people on the podcast and just from, you know, all the years of clinical work, um, it's very easy for me to sit back and kind of be able to say, oh, yeah, this is this is what it is. And it, 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 it's almost um, – it, it, you see this transition in people, but it's very empowering when they can get to a place of like, oh, my God, that totally describes my life. That totally makes sense of – what my childhood was like that makes sense of what my marriage is like or was like. Okay, let's move on to the next two, the queen. All right, these are the typical uh, non-borderline non borderline individuals' thoughts about the queen's behavior. Uh, I can't meet this person's needs, and my best isn't good enough. Um great Springsteen song, my best was never good enough, and your best will never be good enough for the queen. You know, again, use the I just use the metaphor, the queen. Nothing will be good enough for the queen. Uh, the next one is, don't I ever get to have any needs? Um, I shouldn't ever say that because then I'm afraid the queen will leave me. So I need to suppress my feelings big time. Uh, why is everything all about them? Remember, if you're the queen, the world does revolve around you. Uh, if people only knew what, what an act the queen puts on, they they would be totally shocked. So, you know, it's kind of sitting back. This is the person with the non-borderline personality in relationship with the person with borderline. They're saying, 
are you are you kidding? You you this is this is how he or she is acting? Who is this person? You have no idea what goes on behind closed doors. But a queen has to put on a very um magnificent display for the world to see because nobody can know what problems are existing behind closed doors. Uh, typical emotions stemming from the non-borderline individual's thoughts. Um, family members who, who the queen shames, ignores, or gives just basic superficial, superficial attention um, learn the word, learn that their own worth depends on external things. Cars, important titles, um, zip codes, uh, designer clothing, that, that kind of stuff is very, almost in a very ostentatious way. Um, over time, the non, the not individuals without borderline personality, uh, they, they start to feel manipulated and angry at the individual with borderline personality. Um, and they also get angry at themselves uh, for capitulating so much that they no longer recognize themselves, where they feel, oh, my God, I've lost so much of who I am. Where did the last 10 years of my life go? I spent all my life trying to please a person that is, you know, presents like kind of like, you know, uh, you know, the queen on one side, the joker on the other side. Like, who who is this person? Um, the typical actions that are spurred by the non-borderline's emotions are... Our non-borderline individuals give in to the in borderline individual's wishes because it's so much easier um, than than setting and maintaining limits. You know, it's just like I, I'm just it's I'm not going to confront it because, you know, the old saying "Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned." I mean, hell hath no fury like a borderline scorned. Um, they become less assertive. Um, they they're vulnerable to distortion. They're unwilling to protect themselves or even protect their children. They just get beaten down so much and, and start to generally they start to enter therapy because like they, they they believe there's something wrong with me because if you hear something enough times by somebody who you're in relationship with and that relationship is has a high degree of proximity. What I mean by that is you know closeness where the opinions even though I, I use the quote like which I think is crucial. In the, in the treatment of borderline personality by Abraham Maslow, like learn to become independent of the good opinions of other people. This also applies to individuals who are in relationship with pe people with borderline personality disorder. Um, this type can be very, very destructive to a non-borderline psyche. So the effects of having a queen borderline parent... To the queen, children are built, are, they're basically a built-in audience, and they are expected, expected to give love, attention, and support whenever the queen needs it, and they're, they're, also, they're also expected to be mind readers, uh, as well as the person in relationship with them. Uh, children tend to feel confused and betrayed when their, their normal behavior is sometimes punished um, because the queen needs something at that specific point in time. Um, the queens don't don't allow their children uh, to become autonomous, and it's really discouraged and sometimes even punished. Because you, if you're autonomous, you can't be you can't be subservient. The two can't go. You can't have those those two uh, personological uh, uh, ideologies cannot co coexist at the same time. Um, and then what, 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 what typically happens is children of the queen borderline parent typically mimic the behavior that they see and 
generally a new generation of borderline personality is born with the queen personality because of how domineering the individual is. Um, but as, as, as children, as, as these kids kind of grow older, um, the, their conflict with the queen starts to increase. And, you know, underneath, underneath it all, you know, children, these children, they, they long for approval, recognition, consistency, and to be loved unconditionally for who they are and not for what they achieve. So, yes, they are more prone to develop borderline personality disorder if raised by a, a borderline individual parent. Um, but sometimes they can get to the realization of like, hey, wait, look, you know, it's not me. And it often takes therapy to help the person kind of realize um, this is kind of the root cause of, of where this is coming from, your depression, your anxiety, your panic attacks, agoraphobia, whatever. All right. The fourth one, the last one, the witch. All right, what are the border, what are the typical non-borderline thoughts about the witch's behavior? Uh, I feel hurt, betrayed, abused, and I am too scared or young to do anything about it. Uh, I'm just gonna comp- I'm just gonna comply with what they want. Uh, resistance is futile, and I will if I and if I if I try to resist, I will be annihilated. Uh, so I'm just going to assimilate into what they want me to be. Um, typical emotion that stem from the non-borderline thoughts is basically fear, um, and, and and it almost gets to a point of denial because it can just be so so toxic. And then then the actions that are spurred by the non-borderline emotions are. Um, uh, they, they, they try whatever they can possibly do, and I don't like this word, but take it for what it is, they try whatever they can not to trigger the witch. Um, but it often doesn't work. Uh, just submitting to the borderline individual's demands to avoid arousing any kind of cruel behavior, uh, which leads to even more problems for the non-borderline individuals. And, you know, in working with people who've been in relationships, they question their own sanity. You know, where did, where did I go wrong as a parent? Where did I go wrong as a husband, as a wife, a spouse, a sibling? Um, they, the borderline, the, the, the witch, it just, um, People I, I found that work with with the, the witch's behavior, they 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 almost tend to they almost get to a point of like I deserve it. Uh, they admit it is it versus avoiding to avoid admitting that they have they have or chose a person with such um, intense and pathological behavior. Uh, this is especially common for men. Of female of females individuals with the witch subtype, um, and they don't lack the, the the tools to protect the children from the witch's behavior. Uh, the father usually sacrifices the children to avoid a confrontation. Uh, so this is these these last two subtypes are are very difficult to get engaged into treatment and helping them even recognize this is what the disorder and the pathology is. But yes, I've said borderline personality is treatable and curable. It is, but with the caveat that the individual has to be willing to accept the diagnostic picture, willing to do the work, willing to actually make progress and and accept responsibility for themselves, and then. Uh, the effects of having a witch parent, uh, borderline personality disorder with a parent, you know, the witch subtype, um, these children, they live in fear. They live in fear of the witch's capricious moods. Uh, they're basically collateral damage. 
uh, of a secret war that they did not intend to start, don't understand, and cannot control. Uh, the parental attacks are often random, intense, cruel, without often any clear-cut provocation. You know, usually X causes Y. You're pretty much able to find that as you work with people from a therapeutic perspective, but individuals who are in relationship with the witch, you know, if they're a parental figure, it's like, it's like you know, Mussolini from the bell tower. It's like trying to just come at you from all different angles and and children start to automatically think that they are at fault and and they can become shamed depressed insecure uh even dissociate and become hyper vigilant um as adults these individuals that i've worked with them i have tested them uh they have significant difficulties in 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 the relationships with themselves in the relationships with with other people physical illnesses and even even develop ptsd um, you know, it, it's so, you know, there's, there's more in terms of navigating with these four different subtypes, but I would encourage you, like, if you're in a relationship with somebody with borderline, uh, to, you know, to the, the, the previous episode, kind of look at like, okay, these are the four subtypes. First, you can't change something. You, you become aware of it. And then I really, it, it, in any of the different subtypes, it is not your responsibility to treat the individual. And it's sometimes it sometimes it's hard and we and we have to love these individuals from afar. And because they're so emotionally charged, it's why it's so hard for a lot of individuals to get out of relationships with individuals with borderline personality disorder, especially when they're threatening suicide or self-injury, uh, whether those are active suicidal thoughts or passive suicidal. If you leave the other in front of a car, it's pretty hard if you're a conscientious individual to just Say like, oh my god! But I think if you like hear that, like what well, she said that about like like thirty five times, you know, it's like. But do you ever take that chance? And I always tell people, never, always err on the side of caution. Whether you, even if you're a clinician, you sense that always err on the side of caution. Have the patient hospitalized. Uh, I tell people, you you have a right to say that you are unsafe and that you feel suicidal, only if you mean it. You don't have a right to use that as psychological ammunition and and psychological manipulation. And if you do, you need to be held accountable for it. Because with with suicidality and stuff like that, uh, those high-risk behaviors, you can't ever predict that somebody really going to go through with it at that time. Or maybe they just kind of you know teeter on the edge and was like, oh boy, I, I went a little too far. Uh, it's not worth the risk taking. So hopefully these these... You know, because this is such a popular topic uh, that I get requests for, uh, but I wanted to kind of give a framework to it. Again, I'm just saying this is what these these authors present, and I again professionally I I do find a validity to it. I think there uh, are there many you know are there def you know are these you know these distinct four that that's it. No, I think it it, it mutates and it has, and it, you know has comorbidities. But I think it does do, they do do a good job of breaking it down to these four distinct parts, at least help individuals kind of grab, you know, grasp their head around what is the type of person that I'm dealing with or in relationship that I have chosen to be in relationship with or that I have um, my child, you know, develop into this. It's, it's important to first, you know, grasp you know, head around that. And then this episode is more or less, these are the effects of the four different subtypes. They're, these are the effects of the borderline individual from each subtype, how it impacts the person in relationship to them. 
Um, it's it's a it's a fascinating disorder. It's one that I enjoy working with. Uh, it's one that I I you know I'm not afraid to diagnose at a young age because um, you can, and uh, it specifically says so in the diagnostic uh, manual. Um, and I think people are remiss in diagnosing it. And it's really crucial in getting a full evaluation because, you know, tests like the MPI and the Rorschach and then and the TAT and other stuff can really be able to kind of get to these idiosyncrasies that you generally are not going to be able to get from just, a, just your standard intake interview or, or what like that. Because people invariably don't come in and say, I have a personality disorder. They come in and say, I'm depressed. I have mood swings. I can't sleep. I have anxiety. I have panic attacks. My, my thoughts are racing, you know, but it's through the process of, uh, of diagnostics and the integrity of it and the depth and breadth of it, at least how I approach it, um, yields, uh, yields answers. So until next time, uh, continue to reach out. Uh, I appreciate all of your comments and feedback. If I haven't gotten back to you, just keep trying. I'm, I, I'm busy working six, seven days a week, uh, seeing as many people as I can writing evals, um, so it, it it's a lot of work, but it's uh, it it's definitely rewarding and enjoyable. And uh, don't ever see myself getting to a point where I would say that you know because I, I never feel like I'm working. I just enjoy what I do so much. So uh, much gratitude and appreciation. You could follow us uh, on Instagram at psychology underscore unplugged underscore. Uh, so hopefully we're doing a better job of posting stuff. Uh, you can contact me directly at psychologyunpluggedoutlook.com. You can follow me or get a hold of me through Psychology Today. You can even contact me directly at 617-750-9411, East Coast Standard Time in the United States. Um, until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, be vigilant, um, and uh, I will talk to you guys next week. All right, bye, guys.